So if I had to subtitle what we're talking about today, I would subtitle it, A Devoted Disciple Fully Alive. And I think that's what each and every one of us long for deep down inside of our souls. We want to be devoted to Christ. We want to be a devoted disciple that's fully alive to Christ. We want what we do, how we think, where we go, uh, the things uh, that we involve ourselves in, activities, whatever. We, we want to glorify God with whatever we're doing, right? I mean, that's what we really want to do. I mean, God created us uh, in his image. He's redeemed us with his blood. He's poured out the Holy Spirit that now uh, fills the, the, the believer. And we want to glorify our Father. So, so God invites us into this alive story with him, if you will. I want to share four kind of anchoring truths, and then I want to give you some practical stuff to consider as we move through this today. Four practical, just anchoring truths. God invites us to a gnosko relationship with Jesus Christ. God invites us to a gnosko relationship with Jesus Christ. The word gnosko is a very powerful word in Scripture. It's the word no. The two primary words for know when you start to contemplate and study scripture are the words gnosko and the word oida, O-I-D-A. Gnosko is all about the heart. Gnosko is all about experience. Uh, oida is more about cognitive and knowledge. Uh, one's about head, one's about heart. So when we say that God invites us into this gnosko relationship with his son Jesus, what I'm saying is God really wants you to know him in a personal, intimate way. Paul, Paul would write it this way in Philippians 3, verse 10. He says that I might know him, Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, even being conformed into the likeness of his death, that I might know, that I might gnosko, that I might experience at the heart level all that God desires for me to have in life. So, so I believe that each and every one of us, many of us walk in here, we're tired of religion, We've been bruised and burnt out with denominationalism. But deep down inside, there's this hunger and thirst and longing deep in our soul to say, I just want to know God. And God goes, well, great. I, I invite you to gnosko me. I want you to know me. Now, that's one of the anchoring statements for me. Number two would be this. God desires for us to have a deep confidence in his love for us. Now, now get this. Get this, I, I think Brennan Manning was right uh, in the ragamuffin gospel when he said, uh, I believe when we stand before God one day, he's going to look at us and say, did you really believe that I loved you? It's not about us believing that we love him. For many of us, it's about us getting to a place where we believe he just loves us, period. Not based on behavior, not based on performance, not based on when we feel like we've been spiritual enough. Bottom line is, God looks and says, do you know I love you? I'm crazy about you. I'm passionate about you. I accept you. I want to sustain you. I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39. If you've never read out of the message by Eugene Peterson, I love the way he captures this. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, absolutely nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, 
today or tomorrow, high, low, thinkable or unthinkable. I'm convinced that absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Master Jesus has embraced us. I start to wallow in that going, he loves me. He pursues me. He chases me. Even when I was living immoral, even when I was living a life of fornicating and, and, and drunkenness, God is saying, I'm, I'm chasing you. I'm not mad at you. I didn't nail my son to the cross to die for you because I'm mad at you. I'm chasing your heart. You're settling for less wild lovers. And once you come to the realization and you have confidence in your soul that God deeply loves you, agape unconditionally, yes, he loves me. No matter what I've done, no matter what I'm doing, you love me. Yes, and that love can radically change who we are. We don't keep doing what we've done when we realize how much we are loved by him. We don't continue to practice and live in habitual sin when we realize how much he loves us. That's greasy grace. This is grace. I, I, I love you. You would be a third anchor. God promises us the assurance of eternal life that is experienced now. Now, this was a game changer. I want to give you the guarantee and the promise of the eternal life that's experienced now. Now, I don't know if you're coming out of Arminianism or Calvinism or what your theological persuasion and marinade's been, but I am convinced, based on Philippians 1.6, that he, our God, who began a good work in us, will be faithful to perfect and complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus. If I've come to realize through faith and repentance that Jesus Christ is my Savior, Lord, and Master, and I submit to the Lordship and the reign and rule of Christ in my life, and I start to walk with him in a gnosko way, and I believe that I'm unconditionally loved by him, I have assurance. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You're, you're, you're not going to let anybody pluck me out of your hand. I'm the apple of your eye. I have assurance. I have confidence that I belong to God. That's an anchor for me. Here would be a fourth one. God offers us a faith that transcends fear. So many people get flooded with fear and worry and anxiety and nervousness. And they, they walk around in bondage. And God goes, stop, stop it. The faith that I give transcends any fear, any obstacle, circumstance you may be going through. Isaiah 43, love this text. The Lord God who created you says, do not be afraid, do not worry, do not fret, don't be scared. For I have ransomed you. I have bought you back out of the ruins of darkness. I've ransomed you. I've paid for you. You belong to me. Then he goes on to say, I've called you by name and you are mine. You're mine. When you go through deep waters and when you go through great trouble, I'm with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. I'm with you. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I, I, I'm with you, declares the Lord. 
I am the Lord your God. Man, these four anchors right here are absolutely essential for me in my journey. You invite me to a Gnosko relationship. Yeah, yeah. You desire for me to have confidence in your love for me. Yeah. You promise me and guarantee me the assurance of eternal life that's experienced now. Yes. And you offer a faith that transcends any type of fear or worry. You're in control. Yes. Is that not a good, good father? Is that not a God that you want to submit to and surrender to and yield to? So the question has to be asked, who's on the throne of your heart? What have you placed on the throne of your life? Who calls the shots? Who's your authority? Who's your master and ruler? What do you allow to occupy the center of your life? Now, we're going to use this diagram to kind of walk through our entire word time today. We declare that Jesus Christ is the center of our lives. Jesus at the center of it all. We declare that through faith and repentance, we've turned from our sin, we've placed our faith and allegiance in Christ and his cross, that he is the only one who is capable of rescuing us from darkness. He is the only one capable of giving us eternal life, abundant life, life fulfilling right now. We declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's sinner. He calls the shots. He's the ultimate authority. He sits on the throne of our heart. You're Lord. Yes. And as a result of declaring his lordship, we now depend on Christ to lead us for his glory. Did you get that? He's Lord. He calls the shots. We declare that you are the sinner. Now we're going to lean on you and depend on you to lead us for your glory. John 15 says, uh, I am the vine dresser, and you're, you're just branches. And, and if a branch abides in me, and I abide in that branch, you'll produce much fruit. But apart from me, you're not going to produce anything. So we teach here at the Cross Loganville, because it's biblical, we teach that God desires for each and every one of us to learn the secret of living from Christ and not for Christ. Christ in us is the hope of glory. When I learn to live from the Holy Spirit and from Christ in me, I start to live from him. And the overflow of the Holy Spirit now, uh, working in my journey 24-7, starts to produce fruit. I'm in the Word, I'm in prayer, but I'm not in it so that I can get it. I've already got it, so now I'm in it so that I can understand and appreciate and appropriate all that God says about me. Come on. So Christ is at the center. We declare his lordship, and now we depend on him. So when Christ is at the center, God begins to work on our character. Now, this has been happening in my life for over 30 years now. For some of you, you came to faith in Christ seven years ago, and you go, yeah. He started working on my character. He started cleaning me up. I, I, I met with a guy this week. He was here last Sunday for the first time. And uh, he came up to me Sunday, and he goes, can we meet? I said, I've got just a, a small window on Wednesday. So he comes over, we sat down, and I said, what's your story? He tells me a story. What's your purpose for being on the planet? I don't know. I'll lay the gospel out. I said, now here's the challenge for you. 
When are you going to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus? He goes, right now. Right now. So he prays to surrender to Christ. He's here Wednesday. I look at him and I said, dude, you showed up on Wednesday for our prayer time. You want to go have your first communion? He goes, yes. But we're talking in my office and he goes, but how do I clean up my language? No, 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 no. stop, stop, stop. When Jesus gets your heart, he'll get your mouth. You don't have to clean up your language in order to be good. Since God is good and if he takes over your heart, he'll, he'll start to clean up how you talk. He'll start to clean up how you walk. He'll start to clean up what you drink. He'll start to clean up what you put in your hand. When he gets the heart as Lord, he starts to clean up these other areas. Now, now, for many of us from the Bible Belt and the bondage belt, now, now, now listen, listen. It's not a checklist of do's and don'ts. No, 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 no. We don't play checklist games. We're not over here checking the box that I went to church, God loves me. I went to the beach, God doesn't love me. So many people live with this checklist. God will love me if I get all my checklists done. There is this hope-filled resolve deep down inside of our souls because of Christ being the center that starts to drive everything we do. And before we know it, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, our character starts to change. And before we know it, worry's taking a back seat. Anxiety's gone out the door. And we're not bitter and we're not hateful because Christ is changing us at the core. Our stories start to become alive because God is at work doing only what he can do. Romans 8.29 says, to those that God foreknew, he also predestined those to conform them into the likeness of Christ. So if you claim that Christ is at the center of your life and Christ is the Lord, he will start to mold you into being like Jesus. And he will give you a hatred toward those things that he calls sin. You don't even have to manufacture it. If he's Lord, you'll start to hate the things that don't please him. Now, let me give you uh, five simple things here. As a result of Christ being Lord, you're going to start to experience spiritual maturity. Now, you, you've got these areas here, right? We're going to be maturing spiritually. All of a sudden, we don't have to reason in the logical. We start to reason in the theological. We don't have to think just natural. We start to think in the supernatural because God now is starting to change my mind. I'm not conformed to this world, but I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I can think about pure, right, holy, excellent things because I'm starting to experience maturation. Where, where, where 30 plus years ago, I was fired up that I memorized John 3, 16. Where 30 years ago, I, I was fired up that I had enough confidence to pray out loud in church for the first time. And I was sucking Gerber's and sucking the bottle, just like a newborn baby craves for milk and the infant stuff. But over the years, I can get to the meat of the word and I can start to study the word. I've started maturing. And he says in Hebrews 6, let us, let, let us, let us lay aside the elementary teachings of the Christ and let us press toward maturity. God's wanting to grow us up. He's wanting to take us deeper. He's wanting to clothe us with more of him. 
And I love that when I start to study it. One of the manifestations of a heart being surrendered and a story being alive is they're going to experience maturation and growth, spiritual maturity. You don't stay stuck. People say, well, I just don't experience the presence of God. You don't? No. Then do this. The very breath that you have is a gift from God. The very fact that you're breathing right now is the presence of God. Every time I... I'm experiencing the presence of God. People go, never thought of it that way. See, he starts to mature me and I start to appreciate everything and not just some things. I'm growing you up. Love on this person. Care about this person. Here's, here's the second one. We start to acquire wisdom. We want to know more than just what we've known. He says in James, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all people generously. I'm like, any, does anybody here need wisdom today? Cash money needs a double dose of the Holy Ghost when it comes to the wisdom piece. You hear me talking? He goes, you know how you get wisdom? Ask. We get knowledge. Then all of a sudden the knowledge is implemented with application. And with that application comes wisdom. Now, many of us want wisdom, but we don't want to go through the trials in the fires that God has to take us through so that we can become wise. See, there's no shortcuts to acquiring wisdom. You will be bruised. You will be beaten at times. You will be rejected. You will be scarred. But he goes, I want to give you my wisdom. I want to give you my mind. You have to go through adversity if I'm going to train you. All of a sudden, you start to see a person who's fully alive in Christ and fully alive with their story. They're maturing spiritually. You go, man, they've grown so much. They're acquiring wisdom. Here's another one. They become relationally healthy. They become relationally healthy. They start to heal up from their past. They're not treating their past as a hammock to lay in any longer that says, my past defines me. They're now using it as a springboard to launch into the future to say, my past is being used by God to develop me. You start to heal up relationally. You start to see some of the sideways relationships on the horizontal start getting cleaned up. Why? Because you start to live when Christ is at the center and your story starts coming alive. Watch it, watch it. You start living like you're forgiven. And you actually start forgiving others. You want to talk about a manifestation of spiritual growth and maturation in your life? Watch people when they finally get to the place where they're able to forgive themselves because they know God has. And then they're able to offer that forgiveness to others. I'm not saying you haven't been hurt. And I'm not saying that the hurt was not deep. But when Christ starts to become really vibrant and alive and restores you, you go, I'm not going to hold on to that any longer. I'm going to give that to Christ. Anybody ever seen that happen in your journey? And it totally rocks your perspective. Here's another one. You start to live a life that's fit. P-H-I-T. Physically, you care about exercise. The H is healthy eating and you care about what you put in your system. And you start to look and say, uh, God cares about this. You, you see, he ransomed us. Listen, listen. He ransomed us. 
And he says, do you not realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And you don't own yourself, but you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body, with your temple. Steward your body. Paul would write to Timothy, uh, bodily exercise is of little value. Godliness is profitable for all things. Listen, listen, listen. He didn't say don't exercise because it doesn't matter. He goes, in comparison to being godly and being filled with the Holy Spirit, don't spend all your time over here just working on the physical. It's got an expiration date. But he didn't say neglect it. And I start to see people that their stories start coming alive and they want to be as healthy and vibrant and fresh as they can. They go to the gym. They watch what they're putting in their system because they're stewarding their body because their body is their transportation source to take the gospel throughout the world. This is my car. This is my tent. This is my transportation source. And, and you start to eat right and you start to sleep and you start to deal with the different things. You, you care what, what your blood is like. You care about what your health is like. You, you, you care about when you have to go to that extra loop on the belt. You go, oh, 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 something ain't right. You follow me? Christ is alive. Christ is wanting to make me totally alive. And it's hard to be vibrant when I'm all, all the time tired and just weighed down and lethargic. So we start to clean up the sugars and all this stuff. Come on. You're looking at me like, dude, you, you need to go on to the next point. <laughs> That's enough time right there talking about fitness, Okay. No, 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 no. You've been bought with the price. You don't own yourself anymore. Neither do I. So mixing a salad this weekend. Okay, so the next one would be financially we start getting freed up. I started thinking about this with a story that's fully alive. We start to view God as the owner. We're just the manager. We start to realize that everything belongs to him. We start looking at a life of debt a life of materialism, a life of just uh, untamed uh, pleasure island. And we look going, I'm not just going to waste all this away anymore. God's called me to steward this money that he's entrusted to me. And we want to be good stewards of it. So I started looking at a life that was like really alive. Christ, what are you doing in my life? You're maturing me. You're giving me wisdom. Uh, You've helped me become relationally healthy. Uh, you start to lead me to a life of being fit and financially free. Now, when Jesus is at the center, some of this other stuff starts to happen. We start to realize that being committed, no matter where we're at and who we're with, is essential. We start living a life of deep resolve. We're committed to the Word. We're committed to prayer. We're committed to fellowship. We're committed to all this stuff. Commitment drives so much of who we are now because of Christ being at the center. Man, I want to know the Word. I want to study the word. I want to spend time in prayer. And, 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 and God calls each and every one of us to commit to him with all of our hearts, not to lean on our own understanding, and all our ways acknowledge him. And he says, I'll make your path straight if you'll do that. So we start living a life that's committed. Then we start living a life that's connected. All of a sudden, we find ourselves, and the Bible refers to uh, the body of Christ as a human body almost. And, 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 and we find ourselves wanting to make sure we stay connected with others in the body of Christ. 
Because this finger is attached to this hand, which is attached to this wrist, which is attached to this arm. And, and what he makes the analogy of is, you're one member of the body. You're not a lone ranger. You're not to isolate. You're to be in community. You're to live connected with other people. And when we start to live in authentic, honest, transparent community, and you bring your gifts, and I bring my gifts, and you bring your talents, and I'll bring my talents, and you bring your passions, and I'll bring the ones God's placed in me, and we throw them all together, and we start to work together, we explode. The body is alive. The, the body is flourishing, right? The body starts to just absolutely sink up and have just traction and momentum. Hebrews 10, 23 says, do not waver Hold tight to the hope that we have in Christ. God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now listen to this. Think of ways to encourage one another. Encourage one another. Yeah, yeah, send an encouraging text out. Pick up the phone and make an encouraging phone call. Drop a little note and let them know you're thinking of them. Encourage one another to love and good deeds. You can't do that when you're not living in community. You can't do that when you're living in isolation. But all of a sudden, you start hanging out with people, and you see a need, and you go, I want to encourage that person to some good deeds right here. I want to encourage that person to love even more. I mean, I was so touched this week. I, I'm sitting there, and I get this note on Thursday night from a teacher. And, 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 and she's a parapro at the high school, and she goes, I just want to write you a note and let you know that I serve with the special ed kind of group. And we take our kids into this one class and let them hang out. But your son, Jesse, has loved on this one kid. She calls him by name. And the way he encourages him and the way he incorporates him and the way he blesses him, she goes, I just wanted to write you. That's the first time I ever got a note from this lady in my life. I just wanted to say, I really admire that young man. You know what she did? She encouraged me. And I looked at him and I said, let me tell you this note I just got. Dude, that is so cool. That is so cool. If the public school system graded you based on compassion and letting your light shine, you'd be my valedictorian, dude. I love the way you're doing it. But I look at that going, that cost her about five minutes. But man, I suck that in and just go, man, that was so cool. You can do that with people. Somebody encourages you. Somebody blesses you. Blesses you. He says, let us encourage one another to love and good deeds. That was a love and good deed. Let us not neglect meeting together as someone's in the habit of doing. There's people who look at me and go, I, I don't need church. No, you don't. Narcissistic. Bob, you don't need it. You can do life on your own. But because you don't need church, you're really implying you don't need Jesus because Jesus was all about community. And I've had people say, well, I just don't need it. Now, no, you can honor God if you were living in solitary confinement, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer did. You, you can, but you benefit from community. When my one sister is having some physical uh, female issues, and another sister runs over there, grabs her, and is at the ER with her until 3 and 4 in the morning, 
Praise God, they're a part of a body. Praise God that they were able to take care of each other. You see what I'm saying? People go, I, I, I don't need it. No, don't neglect hanging out in community with other people. He goes on to say, encourage and warn each other. Sometimes we have to warn each other. You're drifting over here. You're out of bounds. He said, let us do this more and more as we see this, the return of Christ getting closer and closer. Get in community. Get in a cross link, a small group here at the cross. Get connected with other believers. If you're going through difficulty, you'll have support. You'll have prayer. I mean, these women over here, I mean, the way they'll, they'll I've seen them feed people for 14 and 20 days. I'm like, oh, we've got to take a meal to them. We've got 14 meals lined up over the next little bit. I'm like, stay hot. That's a way to take care of people. That's a way to love people. That's a way to encourage people. So be committed. Be connected. Be contributing. Add to it. Add value. Wherever you're at, add value. We, we did a crazy thing here at the cross about two years ago, talking about be contributing. Because we, we believe that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. We, we, we believe that. And we believe that uh, God's called us to steward what belongs to him. And when it comes to time, talents, and treasures, it all belongs to him. And, and we believe that when, even when Barb and I got married, we believe that if you can get in uh, a 10-10-80 approach, it, it's really healthy, meaning you give the first 10 of your income, you save 10, and then you live on 80. Then we really started believing if we could get to 15, 15, 70 in 2020, 60, that would be a really healthy place because everything belongs to the Lord. And we wanted to, to make sure we were stewarding his resources to kingdom work, okay? But we did this thing uh, called the 100-Day uh, Giving Challenge because we believe that God wants each and every one of us to live generous lives. And it's all about trusting God. So we challenged the people a couple years ago to say, your part would be this. By God's grace, you make the declaration, I'll contribute 10% of my income for the next 100 days, giving it to the Cross Loganville for kingdom work. That's what I'll pledge. God's part was to bless me according to Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Well, a man robbed God. You say, how are we robbing God? He says, well, your tithes and offerings. He goes on to say, have you not robbed me? You're cursed with a curse for robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour a blessing so that you can't even contain it. So we made this challenge saying, your part is to say, I'm going to trust God. God wants me to live a generous life. God's part, God, he owns the trump card. God goes, test me in this. Don't ask me to bless you when, I'm, when you're robbing me. I've had people say that to me. Well, I'm just asking God to bless my life. And I'm like, really? Do you honor God financially? What do you mean? Do you tithe? No. Well, the Bible says you're cursed with a curse. So you're asking God to bless what God's already said he's cursing. God ain't changing his mind. It seems that you're the one that needs to change his mind and heart on this. So or will, you, will you honor God? Just trust God. And then this was our part from the cross Loganville. At the end of 100 days, if God has not provided for your needs, not your wants, but your needs, and if God has not been faithful to open up the floodgates and pour out a blessing on you, according to what he's laid out in Scripture, we'll write you a check and give you all your money back. Because we don't want your money. I want to see you obey God. Because if you start to obey God, then it has no categories to it. 
It doesn't matter where you're at, who you're with. If you're honoring God, then it's going to be alive. So that was the challenge we made. We had people come up saying, I've never trusted God in this area. I, I, there was a couple in the first service, and she said, you've got to understand this. Three months ago, our paycheck was, what we brought home was $3,600 a month. Her husband stepped out in faith and started his own business. She said, for the first month when we stepped out and started our own business, she said, she sent me a text the other day. She said, we already have 8,500 in already. She said, when I started honoring God and we started trusting God and giving to God and contributing to what God says contribute to, she said, that's over twice as much. I said, just, just, just watch God work. Amanda, who gave our announcements today, her and Jeremy, she was like, I, I, I used to work 40 hours a week. I'm working only 10 or 12 hours a week now doing what? She goes, can I tell you something? Since we started honoring God, I don't know how. People say this all the time. I don't know how. I don't know how, but we've got more money now than we had when I was working 40 hours a week and not honoring God. I'm like, I don't know how either. I don't know how, but it, but it works. Be committed. Be connected. Be contributing. Be serving. Serve. Give your life away. Attend a service, service, service. Get involved with youth. Get involved with helping cook. Get involved with serving somewhere. Give your life away. It doesn't belong to you anyway. Start connecting. Start discipling. Get involved in a small group and let others pour into you to disciple you. Serve. Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is not the one who is being served, but the one who serves. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. And you don't tell me how effective your walk with Christ is based on who is serving you. You tell me a lot about how effective your walk with Christ is based on who you are serving. And God goes, serve. And then we've got our RTTS. We believe that God wants each and every one of us reaching lost people, then teaching brand new Christians. I was working with our care pastors this week after we see people that are reached with the gospel. Listen to this, like the dude that prayed to trust Christ on Wednesday. I've got a series, 100, 200, and 300, Essentials to the Faith, PDFs. I'd love to share them with you. Uh, welcome to the family. What does it mean now to be a child of God? Teachings on salvation, assurance, lordship, prayer, scripture, giving, stewardship, fellowship, accountability, all this. I got like 12 studies in there. Then the next level up is uh, the road to recovery, our 200 series. And we're starting our recovery class starting this week, our Christian 12-step cross version of really seeing lives infiltrated and uh, challenged and changed by the gospel. I've got a 200 series. I'd love to give it to you to help you grow. Then I got a 300 series that I call God, I trust you even diving deeper into scripture, all PDFs and stuff. I'd love for you to study those. People go, I don't, I don't know what to do. We'd love to help you. We want to serve you, but we believe God's called us to reach lost people, to teach those that are brand new in the faith, to train those who are starting to mature and to send people out. Hannah, she's getting ready to leave here in just a few more days and she's going back to South Africa for three months, we get to be a part of what God's doing with her. I remember when she was going through high school and this little shy girl started really interacting more and more. And she goes, I, I feel like God is calling me to go with YWAM. And she went through the discipleship training school. And she's like, I, I feel like God is leading me in this area. 
We, we want to be a part of that. She's going out now reaching, teaching, training because she's been sent. Does that make sense to you? You want your story fully alive? You, you want to live in a live story? These principles I've laid out today are very practical, very doable. But if you'll start to submit to them, it'll radically change who you are. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.